Hey everyone, welcome to Infused Church Online. My name is Taylor, and today we're talking about a question that we ask of pretty much everyone. Who are you? And how we answer that question informs how we treat them and what we believe about them. And that question is something we have to ask ourselves this Christmas about what Christmas is really about. Stick around. Yes, Your Honor. I should like to call my first witness. Can you tell us your name? My name is Daniel Lowry. And what'd you get for Christmas last year, Daniel? Um, a bike and, um... And who gave you the bike? Yeah. What's his name? Santa Claus. Are you sure he's Santa Claus? Yep. Well, how can you be sure? Because he looks like Santa Claus. <laughs> Any other reasons? Uh, he's very nice. Mm-hmm. And he works at Kohl's. And he's got elves. Well, tell me something, Daniel. Could that man be Santa Claus? No. Why not? Because Santa don't got a grumpy face. <laughs> <laughs> Water. Yeah, because he's got a grumpy face. How about that? Um, so uh, this is our first movie. Um, uh, before we get into it, though, or, well, I guess we're doing something else. Anyways, um, before we get into it, though, uh, hats off to Brian for, um, for having some faith and taking a step out. Yeah, you can clap for Brian. That was difficult. That was difficult. Uh, he did. He did really well, um, especially since I just like threw it out there to him like last week, and then we didn't have service, and he worked so hard to get ready, and then, and then we didn't have service. So um, really appreciate him stepping up. But um, today we are kicking off a brand new series, Christmas at the Movies, and we are starting off with Miracle on 34th Street. Now, if the 1947 version of Miracle on 34th Street is your version, I am sorry in advance. I don't know if you knew this, but I am a little too young for the 1947 version. Nothing against it. I was going to watch it. I kind of ran out of time. I thought I should better invest in the message instead of watching a movie. Uh, and so hopefully that was time well spent. We'll find out. Um, but uh, we're going to go through the uh, 19, I think it's the 94 version of um, of. Um, Miracle on 34th Street, which actually is one of my favorite um, movies. Um, it's a great, great story. If you haven't watched it for some reason, I hope that you would check it out. Now, most every story, um, whether it be a book you're reading or a movie you're watching, there's always a conflict, right? And the conflict is introduced about a quarter of the way through, and then they spend the rest of the movie resolving the conflict. And for Miracle on 34th Street, that little clip was funny but it was also kind of the embodiment of uh, the conflict for the entire movie, which was essentially, who is Santa Claus? And specifically, is that man who was sitting in the defendant's seat, um, was he a, just a regular department store Santa Claus claiming to actually be the real Santa Claus, or was he really the real Santa Claus? To which at first, if you've watched the movie, all the adults kind of roll their eyes to the idea that this guy really thinks he's Santa Claus. In fact, some of them just straight out believe he's mad, and that's part of the reason why they found themselves in court. Because obviously everyone knows there's no such thing as... Yeah, I hope there's no kids in here. I didn't think about that in advance, did I? Okay. 
Hopefully I didn't ruin that for anybody. Um, so the question on everybody's mind and the court's mind, okay, is who is Santa Claus? And the whole movie is about resolving this tension. And there's always tension because no matter what they try, no matter what they do, Santa just seems to be this exceptionally kind and generous and loving person. And they can't find anything wrong with him. And by the end of the movie, as you may know, um, most people in the movie, especially the main characters, come to the decision that they are indeed going to believe that this individual who claims to be Santa Claus is really Santa Claus. Now, asking the question, who is someone, is something we all do. This is a very natural question. We may not always say it out loud necessarily, um, but certainly in our relationships, in our day-to-day lives, we ask this question all time the time. Who is my neighbor? Okay, now you may know their name, but I'm talking about like, who are they? Are they a hard worker? Do they work long hours? You see them out late at night? Are they a quiet person? Are they a little strange? Or is your boss, who's your boss? Is your boss a nice person? Are they a good boss, bad boss, somewhere in between? For, For some of you parents, you're at a stage in your life right now where you're asking the question, who is my teenager? Anybody at that point in their lives, right? Who is this person that I thought was part of my family, but I'm not even sure I want to claim them right now with what's going on? It's an important question. We ask it all the time. Um, and, and oftentimes, we kind of tend to keep it at a surface level, right? We tend to um, look at people by perhaps the signature in their email, right? You look at their title and you say, oh, this is who they are, and you kind of have a mental picture of kind of where they fit in to your life or into the organization or the business transaction that you have going on. Uh, For some of you, you base who someone is on on their profile, their profile picture, um, or simply who they just say that they are. That's who they are to you. But there's more to the question, isn't that? Who is someone, as if if you want a relationship to grow and to develop, has to go a little bit deeper. You have to move beyond the email signature line to what's going on inside. That's when relationships start to grow. And if you're married, you kind of have experienced this to some extent, is you started off, and you started off at the surface level, and everything was super great and dandy, and who is this person? Well, they're the love of my life, and then you've spent like a year together, and then you're like, who is this person? And you're like, gosh, I'm not sure right? As things kind of come up and you realize there's more to a person than is on the surface, right? There's their identity and their values. And those are the things that in any good relationship really matter for the long term. Is this person authentic? Is this person, who is this person? Are are they a safe person? We ask that question all the time, don't you? You see someone and instantly in your mind, you're kind of going through the question, "Who who are they? Are they a threat? Or should I be, feel comfortable in this situation? Relationally, we ask the question, who are they in relation to shall I trust them? Are they worthy of my trust? Are they reliable? Are they dependable? All these things we go through all the time in our lives. And it's really important because how you answer this question determines how you treat someone as well, how you interact with them. If you don't trust someone, if they are unworthy of your trust, you're not probably going to leave your kids with them, are you? You probably won't spend a lot of time with them. You may even avoid them. How you answer this question will dictate how you treat someone. If they're not dependable, who are you going to call when you get in trouble? 
Still Ghostbusters, yeah. <clears throat> because they're dependable and they'll be there and they'll take care of your problems. But how you answer this question determines how you treat other people. And that's why answering this question in this particular movie was so important. Because if this person, if this Santa Claus was just a madman, then that meant a whole different outcome to the end of the movie, and it meant a whole different outcome for the family and that little girl and her experience with Christmas. How, how they were going to treat Chris Kringle. And you could see that in the contrast, right? Some of the people on one side of the bench in the courtroom believed he was just a madman and treated him as such, but others had faith in him. Others believed in him and what he was saying, and they treated him kindly, and it made a difference. Now, though we may not think about it that often, this is the same question that is at the center in some ways, in a lot of ways, for Christmas. Not who is blank, but specifically, who is Jesus? I mean, we all get together, we all celebrate, we all watch the TV shows and the movies. But is he the son of God? Or is he just a normal baby? It makes a really big difference for Christmas, doesn't it? If you believe he's the son of God, you celebrate Christmas, hopefully at least a little differently. At least I hope you're going to be here on the 24th Christmas Eve service. And if you're not sure, I still hope you're going to be here, but you may not. Because how you answer this question will determine your behavior and how you treat Jesus and people who believe in Jesus. Now, for me, growing up, um, Jesus was a fairly specific person, especially around Christmas during the year. It was kind of something different. But um, for five-year-old Taylor, um, Jesus was really um, specific in my mind and in my heart. Um, I don't know about how you grew up and your traditions as a family, but for us, we would go to church on Christmas Eve at the 5 p.m. service, okay? And during the time that we were at Christmas Eve service, Santa Claus came. And it was so nice that he worked this into a schedule thus, you know, that we didn't go overnight, and I only had to wait like an hour while we were at service. Um, but can you imagine as like a five or six or seven or eight-year-old sitting in church trying to focus on Christmas Eve when I know Santa's eating the cookies and leaving me some swag? <laughs> I was not focused. In fact, to me, the last thing in my mind was like, yay, baby Jesus, I love that kid. It was more like, yeah, Jesus, let's wrap this up, sing our song, and get going home. Because what Jesus was to me was gifts for me. Jesus' birth was a happy day for Taylor. Really a backwards thing, right? Whose birthday is it? Taylor's. Wait, no, Jesus, I'm so confused, I don't really know. But I love the gifts, so let's keep them coming, right? That was what it was. And then as I got older, it was awful, honestly. I don't know why. Uh, they had an 11 p.m. service. So we'd go at 5, get home, get the gifts, and then we'd have to go back to church. And that's why, honestly, right there, I walked away from church and became an agnostic. Because I was like, I have all these awesome toys, and now i got to go back to church? Are you kidding me? No, I'm just kidding. It was more thought out than that. But <laughs> I was really upset for many years that we had to go back to the 11 p.m. service. Now, I don't want to assume what Christmas was for you, but I'm guessing maybe a piece of that had a part to play in your Christmases as well. That the celebration of Jesus's birth was maybe something more you just endured to get the presents. 
and the stockings. You endured being a sheep in the uh, church Christmas pageant, right? And your parents were so happy about it, but you were the grumpy sheep, you know, up there. And everybody was like, oh, that's so adorable. And you're like, this is anything but adorable, right? And then when you grew up, that Jesus, that understanding of Jesus, of let's just get through the church part so we can get to the good part, kind of held true. So much so that you're like, why do I keep doing this thing over and over again? Why do I keep believing in Jesus when really all it is is about presence? And honestly, if that's the Jesus that you walked away from, then that's probably for the best. Because if you answer the question, who is Jesus, with something like this, it's not really who Jesus is. And you kind of knew that. But maybe nobody ever took the time to really explain it to you. For some of us, Jesus was a different figure. When we answered the question, who is Jesus, it wasn't just the Christmas time, it was the rest of the year. And Jesus was, God was distant, and he was far away. Partially because you only heard from him maybe once a week on Sundays if you went, or once a month, or once, twice a year, Christmas and Easter. Maybe for you, Jesus was the rest of the year, um, you know, a little bit of a judgmental figure. You just kind of rode the church train with a lot of guilt and burden because you were, were afraid and not in a good way of Jesus and, and God. Or for some of you, you just thought Jesus was a bad leader, bad kind of guy, not really there for you. That when you looked at Jesus' church, right, Jesus is in charge of the church, you looked at the church, and the church to you was broken. And in your mind, Jesus kind of let things go when it came to his church. Because of the, instead of the church being welcoming and kind, the church was pushing you away. It wasn't an environment for you to explore faith in Jesus. It was an environment of criticism and gossip. And that stood between you and trying to figure out who is Jesus. So today, with all of that said, and all of your context hopefully kind of acknowledged, I want to look at um, the, the Gospel of John. And John's account of the Christmas story. Now, John, if you're not familiar with who John is, John was a follower of Jesus. In fact, he was not just a follower of Jesus or a disciple. He was one of the three closest to Jesus. I didn't know this until I went to seminary, that Jesus had three guys that were even his closest close of the 12 disciples, and John was one of those those guys. Um, in fact, John was the person that, that Jesus talked to as he was dying on a cross and said, John, take care of my mother, Mary. I mean, what a sign of a relationship that you would say, please take care of my mother. And John wanted to answer this question for us. And he did it through a very unique way. He didn't do it through the factual way that we're used to with shepherds and magi and angels and a manger. He did it kind of through the perspective of a wise old man which is what we um, assume that he was when he sat down to write his gospel, his account of the good news, his account of Jesus. 
And I think he did this in a very intentional way so that we would understand a little bit better not what happened, but who Jesus was in that Christmas story. And so he begins his chapter in chapter 1 in a very cryptic way. We've talked about it a lot, but today we're going to focus specifically on one single verse. And it's a verse that, honestly, we could probably spend the whole rest of this series on, but don't worry, we're not. But it's a verse, starting in 14, where he introduces Jesus as something maybe we're not the most familiar with, but I hope I'll explain it in a way that will make it quite understandable. He begins and says, Jesus was the Word. He was the Word. And not in like a hip kind of way, like, oh man, he's the Word. Not like in a theological way. And we don't often, I don't often use theological terms, but theological essentially means the study of God. And he wants you to understand what God was doing and who Jesus was. And so he, he, um, he did this in this way that the best way that I can think to explain it isn't like exceptionally perfect, but I think it's about as close as I'm going to get. If you have ever used um, a public transit before, if you're a bus taker, um, or maybe uh, you work out at a gym um, at the same time, kind of every day, you take the same bus every day. Um, maybe um, if you remember, I know for me back in college, I would always have, you know, a similar class schedule, and I would always go to class and ride my bike the same way and walk the same halls to get to my classroom every, every, um, every day that I had class. And, and when you do something like that, when you're around other people with routine, you see the same people. You may not talk to them, but they're familiar to you, right? They always come out of class at about the same time. You always pass them in the hall about the same time. They're walking down the steps at the same time, in the bus with you at the same time. Now, if I asked you, those people who are familiar in your life who you see once in a while but you've never spoken to, if I asked you, do you know those people? I'm guessing most of you would say, no, I don't know them. They're familiar to me. I see them, but I don't know who they are. However, if you had a conversation with one of those people, even if it was brief, even if it was, hey, I see you every, every day. What's your name? And you got their name and maybe something about them. And then I came up to you and said, hey, do you know them? Now that you talk to them, what would you say? I'm guessing for most of us, we'd say, yeah, I, I know them. I don't know them very well, but I do know them. See, there's a difference that changes in our hearts and our minds when we interact with someone, not just in passing, but in word. How many of you are um, podcast people, like you, 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 you um, listen to podcasts on the drive, or audiobook people, or radio people, any of those kind of people in, here today? S some of you, about half of you, okay. Um, if you're not a podcast fan, you should really be, because, man, I learn a lot, and it's all free. It's really awesome. But um, if you're a podcast person, if you have, or a radio show, maybe even growing up, those people who are those continue, the hosts of the show, or the co-hosts of the show, you may have never even seen their face. But wouldn't you say that you kind of know who they are? You haven't even met them, but you've heard them. You've listened to them. You've heard their words. And though if they saw you in a hallway, they would have no idea who you were, you'd say, I think I have a pretty good idea about who you are what you value, and what's inside. 
how did that happen? Through a word. Through words. And so what John is saying to us is, he says, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God's word. You may never see God. You may never touch God. But you're able to through his word. And that word is Jesus. And then something happened to that word. That word became flesh, tissue, became biological. It became soft, okay? We're kind of squishy, right? Mainly because we're like 70% water, right? We be, we're vulnerable. Flesh is vulnerable. We can be hurt. We can experience pain. And the other thing that we try to avoid, but is an undeniable reality of flesh, is there is a expiration date. We're perishable. All flesh has an expiration date. So the word, Jesus, became flesh, vulnerable, perishable, fully human. Now, this is unique right here. This is unique among all world religions, and I know we could sit down over coffee if, if you want to. We can absolutely do that, and you can tell me, well, what about this and this and this and this, and we can go through all of those, but I am telling you, as I've spent time listening and reading and learning, this is unique to Christianity. This was exceptionally unique in John's day when John is talking to a Roman audience, and he's like, no, 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 God became fully human, like perishable, hurtable, killable human. People's minds were just, what? Why would God do that? That's just like a bad move on God's part. He made himself vulnerable. That is not a godly thing to do, yet he did. God became the most relatable to humanity that he could be by literally becoming a human being. One of my most favorite moments in the movie Miracle on 34th Street is Santa is sitting in his chair, at least in the 94 version. He's sitting in his chair, and all, the kids are lined up, and they're coming to sit in his lap, tell him what they want for Christmas. And then one girl with her mom comes up to sit in his lap. And it is an exceptionally powerful moment because, as some of you remember, she can't hear. So check out the clip, and then we'll, we'll talk about it more. Wow. Uh, she's deaf. You don't have to talk to her. She just wanted to see you. Thank you. <laughs> you are a very beautiful young lady. <laughs> What's your name? Sammy. That's a beautiful name. <laughs> now, I tell you what. Do you know Jingle Bells? Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. 
Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Darling, what would you like for Christmas? A doll and a bear? Well, you shall have them. Certainly. I wish you a Merry Christmas. Yes, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. What's, what's so heartwarming? about that moment. What, what stirs our hearts, makes us smile, makes us feel like it's Christmas? It's when two people, Santa and a girl, for a moment exist in two different realities. One can hear and speak. The other could not. And the mother, as you saw right at the beginning, she tries to acknowledge the gap, the difference, right? She says, Santa, you don't have to say anything. She just wanted to see you. But then Santa does what? Santa bridges the gap and enters into her reality through sign. Have those not been some of the most powerful moments, if you can think back, in your own life? When someone you feel like gets where you are, and not just understands, but can empathize with, because they have, it's almost as if they have walked in the same shoes that you have or are walking in. And they are able to step into your reality in such a way that does something in here. For some of you to describe, it breaks you in here. It allows you to let down your walls and to be vulnerable and real. And there's a relationship there that's incredible. That they care so much, they love you so much to enter into your reality, oftentimes in the most painful of moments. John is saying, let me tell you about Jesus laying in a manger and what that represented. It represented God in a different reality than you coming into your in my reality, and experiencing it just like you and I. He knew what it was like to experience joy, and he knew what it was like to experience suffering. He knew what it was like to be betrayed, especially by those who are closest. He knew what it was like to be and feel alone, that in fact he could be surrounded by people who claimed that they would follow him to the grave, if that's what it took. Yet he knew he was very, very alone. He knew what it was like to have gossip or words spoken about him behind his back, to be able to feel that discomfort that comes along with that. He even knew 
get this, he even knew what it was like to ask God for help and for God to be quiet. You see, I think when someone has been where you and I have been, experienced what you and I have experienced, when you when they say to you that they love you, that they care about you, it means a whole lot more. In fact, I would describe it as it just feels full. It feels whole, that love. It feels like they can love you even in your vulnerability, even in your pain, even in your happiness, even in your weaknesses. Because they know. And they've been there and they've take, done what it takes to enter into your reality and be with you there. And God in Christ, here on earth, did that. So there wouldn't be a gap. You wouldn't be able to say, oh, he's just too distant of a God. He's just too far away from me. John would say, he was not too far away from me. And granted, I got to see him and watch him. But because he has done it for me, John would say, I think he could do it for you as well. In fact, he promises that he will. He says that his spirit will be with you and will walk with you and be in your heart. And that word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. Now, I could go into this word dwelt, and, and we could take a lot of time talking about it. And if you are like, uh, have a little um, Bible under your belt, if you will, um, you, you know some of the implications of this word, and, and we could talk for a long time about this. But I, I want to make this quick. What essentially John was doing, he was, he was triggering something for his Jewish audience. He was saying, think back, and if you grew up in church, you know this, you can think back all the, the days of Moses. And Moses constructed, by God's command, a tabernacle. And God resided in that tabernacle. This word right here, dwelt, its Hebrew equivalent would be tabernacled. He tabernacled with us. And God enters into this tabernacle, but even in the tabernacle, there was a gap. God said, you can't come in. You can't see me. It's too much for you to handle. I am with you, but it's too much. But in this case, John is saying, you remember that tabernacling thing with Moses? Yeah, that's done now. Because God, through Jesus, became flesh. And there's no separation now. He's literally living with us. It's personal. And then John closes this verse with, with a kind of a perplexing statement, at least I think it's kind of perplexing. He said, we have seen his glory. His glory. The glory of the one and only Son, Jesus, who came from the Father, God, our Father, God, full of grace and truth. Now, this is an awesome statement, but we've talked about this before, and we'll talk about it again, and if you're kind of curious as to this, I literally did a whole message on it. It's in our Rooted series. You can go to our website under messages, Rooted, part two, and we talk about the fullness of grace and truth. I don't want to spend time with that today. I want to spend time right here with his glory, because to me, glory is kind of a contradictory statement in this moment. God, 
Even if you don't believe in God, just hypothetical this with me for a second. God, creator of life, creator of the universe, all-powerful, became flesh, became human, became killable, vulnerable, soft. That seems like a bad move, like I said earlier. That doesn't, that isn't at least what I picture when I think glory. It just sounds like a bad call on God's part. Not much glory about it. When I think glory, I'm thinking like Old Testament glory. I'm thinking part in the Red Sea's glory, right? I'm thinking incredible miracles glory. I mean, the plagues and Egypt and the Exodus and burning bushes, and it's just, wow, that is glory. Hello. Even when in the Old Testament he talks about, there, there's verses about glory. It's like before the giving of the Ten Commandments, what happened? The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. When Solomon's temple, this massive temple, an architectural wonder of the world at the time, his incredible feat of construction, Solomon's temple was dedicated, the priests could not enter. And in 1 Kings it says, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. When Isaiah had his vision of the temple, if, if you've ever read much of the prophets, usually something a lot of people just stay away from because it's exceptionally confusing, but usually and sometimes the most confusing parts of the Bible, it's also the most incredible. It just takes a lot of work to get through them. In Isaiah chapter 6, um, he talks about uh, the, that Isaiah heard the angelic choir. I don't even know what that looks like. That just sounds impressive. The angelic choir sing, singing, and what were they singing? Uh, the whole earth is full of his, what? glory. That's what I think about when I think glory. Or maybe you're not a church person. Maybe just think about our world. When I think glory in our world, I think some of these pictures um, right here, at least I hope they show up. This, this is glory. You get to stand on that center podium holding that gold medal up. That's pretty awesome. You're like a top athlete in the world. Glory. This is glory. For some of you, this was a part of your life. This is strength. This is power. Glory. You sit there in awe. Glory. Next one. Glory. That's just incredible. If you're afraid of heights, it makes you a little nauseous. Wow. Look at that. Standing on a moon. Literally, this was weak. We put another uh, uh, spacecraft on Mars. Wow. I, d I don't think in the whole rest of my life, I could ever accomplish such a feat. That's incredible. This, this is our sister galaxy, Andromeda. At one point in, in the future billions of years, our galaxy and Andromeda will collide. Think about that. Two massive galaxies heading for each other. And, and a lot of um, uh, scientists say that we'll literally, there will be very rare for any planets to actually hit as these two galaxies collide because there's so much space in between the planets. Now I'm just nerding out on you, but, it, but it's just this incredible moment in our future. That to me is glory, and God created all of this. This is what I think when I think glory. I do not think of this next picture as glory. Nothing in this picture says glory to me. But to John and our Father in heaven, that is glory. So much so 
that John says right out of the gate, Word made flesh, dwelling among us, and we have seen his what? His glory. That is who Jesus is. Humble. Vulnerable. Why? Because God so loved the world. Not some of the world, not the nice parts of the world, not the parts of the world that pay the taxes, not the parts of the world that work hard every day of every week trying to earn an income for the family and just making it through every day. No, 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 no. The whole thing. Each and every one of us, that's who Jesus is. And John says, I want you all to know this. In fact, he says this in chapter 20 of, of his gospel, John, of John. Then the next last chapter is 21. In, in the final um, pay, uh, verses within chapter 20, John says, I tell you all of this. I, I wrote all of this so that you can believe, so that you can put your faith in. Not someone who's distant, but someone who's close. It's the same heart of Miracle on 34th Street. What did Santa want? What was the desired outcome? That people would believe. John wants us to know that Jesus, that God, that Christianity is not perhaps the version we've experienced in our past. That maybe uh, you've experienced and and I know that I've experienced where, where I just constantly felt unworthy, a lot of shame. I felt judged. And I felt like the gap between God and I could never be closed. If he really existed, it was just too big of a gap for anyone to build a bridge. And John said, you're right. It's too big of a gap for you to close. But God's got that covered. And if you want to know who God is, look at who Jesus is. Because Jesus is practically a lens to see God. Jesus is dwelling among us so that there is no gap, that you do not have to reach a bar of goodness or saintness or whatever to connect with him. He understands your joy. He understands your hurts because he too has endured them, has lived them. My friends, he is not short of humility. In fact, part of his glory is found in humility. Perhaps you saw the image of a manger. That he would be willing to be born to parents who had to get married because they were going to have a baby, and they weren't exactly sure where the baby even came from, but we got to get this thing done because society demands it, and then we're going to have it because there's no room for us in the inn in a manger. That's glory. More specifically, John would say, that's love. Now, if you struggle with faith, one, I hope you stick around through the rest of this series and Christmas Eve, because um, Christmas Eve, uh, uh, if everything plans out how at least I have planned on paper, it's going to be awesome, but, but I hope you stick around, because it will help you to process through and at least give you the opportunity to not decide who Jesus is based on what maybe the world tells you or what's even most convenient for you, but who the people that follow Jesus said that Jesus was. 
and that some of the people who are sitting around you have experienced Jesus to be. Because I don't want you to miss out on the faith that you can have. Because from one of my favorite quotes in the movie uh, Miracle on 34th Street is right at the beginning, and Santa turns to the, the lady who, who hires him, and he says, if you can't believe, if you don't accept anything on faith, then you are left with a life dominated by doubt. Because you put your faith into so many things every day, to so many people every day. Oftentimes based on who you know them to be. And, and I hope that you wouldn't have to go through your life doubting yourself all the time, doubting others all the time, doubting your life and your life's choices, doubting the decisions that you made in the past, but instead, know and come to know who Jesus is and maybe decide to put a little trust, a little faith in Him. Not a distant God, but a God who wants to be really close, personal. A God who says, I care so much that I'm not going to leave any gaps. I love the world so much that I will give my only son not to condemn the world, but to save it. Oftentimes, unfortunately, as you and I have experienced from ourselves and our own messes. And so my hope and my prayer this Christmas for each of you is that you would wrestle with this because I guarantee you when the perfect Christmas, we're going to talk about this on Christmas Eve, when the perfect Christmas does not go perfectly, which it never does, or you're sitting there remembering the people who are no longer with you, which we often do this time of year, you will be able to have peace and confidence because of how you've answered this question. Let's bow our heads and let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, for some of us uh, this morning, it is our moment to take a step across that line. That line, whatever that is for us, that we have been avoiding between us and God, and us and Jesus, really. To say, you know what, I'm not going to let the past of how people have treated me, how Christians have treated me, how I've seen the church even act. This is who Jesus is, and I have decided not to put my faith in the rest of that, but to put my trust, my faith in him. So Lord, my prayer would be that there would be some people here this morning that would be willing to take that step and cross over that line of faith. Lord, for, for some of us this morning, um, we're in a place right now where we're not ready to take that step. In fact, for maybe some of us, this is our first time back in church in a long time or at a new church in a long time and our, our heart, minds and hearts are maybe a little distracted or, or something. But my prayer is that you would at least invite us to ask this question, not in the busyness of life, but in those moments of calm and peace, and ask this question next week and the week after as we work through this series more, that who is Jesus? Does that have an impact on my life? And for those of us who have been walking this faith walk for a long time, especially for those of us when it's kind of become a little stale, 
that we would look at John's word. Maybe we'd even read it tonight. We'd get out that old B-I-B-L-E, we'd open it to 1 John, and we'd read what God did to be close to us and what that meant and what that took. And our hearts would be encouraged when we remember this moment between Santa and this little girl. Two different realities bridged. And that is the Jesus, that is the God that we follow. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength and the wisdom and the encouragement, whatever it takes, to walk through that question and to walk that life following Jesus. In your name I pray.